In the book of John, the 11th chapter, you will remember that Martha came to Jesus and trying to get Jesus there before Lazarus died. But Jesus chose to wait three days before he went so God could be glorified. When Martha says, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? And that's my question to you. Do you believe this? Do you believe with your whole heart? And you may think that's a crazy question to ask because you're sitting in a pew today. But there are those that go to church on a regular basis that do not believe. Maybe it's because their parents, their spouse has, has talked them into going, but it, none of it makes sense. So my question to you is, do you believe that He is the Savior in your heart? Do you take Him as your Savior? And yes, we all know individuals that cannot answer that affirmatively. They cannot say, I believe He is the Savior. They're not sure if He's more than just a prophet. I am going to be reading, and I'll share this with you so those of you that have your Bible or want to turn to the Bible in the pew and back of the pew in front of you. I'm going to 1 Corinthians and I'm going to stay there in the 15th chapter. This is Paul speaking to the Corinthians. 15, the first verse. My brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received, on which you have taken to your stand. By this gospel, you will be saved. By the gospel that if you believe in Jesus Christ, you will be saved. The third verse. For what I received, I passed on to you as the first importance. That Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. That He was buried, that He was raised on the third day, according to Scripture. And that He appeared. And then to the twelve disciples, after that He appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time. First, He was crucified. So it is in this one chapter, two sentences of the Bible. He was crucified. He was buried. But he arose from the dead. After three days, he rose from the tomb. The stone was moved. Jesus Christ didn't have to have it removed so he could get out. It was moved so people could get in and see. See that it was empty. The Romans, the Hebrews, they did everything they could to find out where 
does Jesus, where does he lay today? Did they take, they being the disciples, move the stone and then bury him somewhere else? Where is he? So they had a search for all of the disciples. The disciples, as you know, were hiding, probably in the same upper room they had the Last Supper in. But they were hiding. But now the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they knew that this was worse than all of the teachings of Jesus Christ. They had, Jesus had all of the followers, but now He has overcome death. He is the Savior they proclaimed all along. It is the greatest fiasco that the religious leaders could even imagine. And Romans, they too had to deal with that. Because we know that the disciples at first were in hiding but their numbers kept growing and growing because Jesus Christ had paid the price and they could share this story. They being the disciples could share the story with everyone. Not only was He a great teacher, not only did He cure those that were blind, not only did He raise those that were dead from the grave, and there were three of those, not just Lazarus, Not only did they perform those miracles, but now the tomb is empty. There's no proof of any kind of uh, plan by the disciples to steal the body, to steal the remains. There's no proof. And so the greatest nightmare that the religious leaders could ever have is that Jesus' body could not be found. The 16th verse, again, 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians. Paul is saying, For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your Faith is futile. You are still in your sins. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. Christ indeed has been raised from the dead. The idea that this was a hoax did not die in the first century. But now, it continues. There are those that feel that this was nothing but something that a lot of religious zealots came up with to identify Jesus Christ as a, as a Savior. And all of the knowledge they have tells them this could not be true. No one could come back from the death. No one could be raised from the dead. No one. Many have written books going in as skeptics and saying it could not happen. This book written by David Limbaugh, I've mentioned before, 
Jesus on trial. He went in as a trial attorney. He was was treating it as he would a case in which he was the prosecutor. He went into it and he pulled the facts out everywhere he could and ultimately he had to admit. He had to admit Jesus Christ is real. And he will tell anyone that will listen, Jesus Christ lives. The case for Christ, this was made into a movie. This individual was a reporter, investigative reporter. His wife believed very strongly in Jesus Christ, and it was creating a lot of trauma within his family. And he loved his wife, but he felt like the only way they would have peace in their marriage would be if he could prove that Jesus did not exist. So he went after this with a vengeance, going to expert after expert, archaeologist, psychologist, on and on. The bottom line is, the author, Lee Strobel, Strobel, believed so strongly that there was Jesus Christ, the Savior, that he has been preaching in Houston over 20 years. Because he has such faith in the resurrection, such faith in the Word. Just as Paul was telling the first century individual, he lives. You see, if there's nothing to believe in at all, if he doesn't. We could be studying the prophets of the Old Testament. We could be doing that, and they taught very good things, way to live, the Ten Commandments and so forth. Their teachings were very good, but there is not the salvation offered. Buddhism, Hinduism, they teach to the teachings of living a good life. But they do not have Jesus Christ. They do not have a Savior that has already died for your sins and mine. They don't have that. Any more than the Hebrews did and does. A book, Glimpses of Heaven, True Stories of Hope and Peace at the End of Life's Journey. My mother was in the uh, OR, and it wasn't a serious operation, but they're all serious when they start messing with your heart. And They were messing with her pacemaker, and her heart stopped for several seconds. A friend of mine who was a kidney transplant uh, surgeon in Lubbock came down the hall as I was standing there and leaning up against the hall. Mother was inside the room where the still working. And I told him what had happened. And he said, did he, did she have any out-of-body experience? I said, not that I know of. And the doctor himself told me that they will have patients that will be looking down on the OR and can tell what color robes they were wearing or surgery gowns. They could tell what color shirts. They could tell them what what they were talking about during the surgery. You don't make that kind of stuff up. And this is a surgeon that has heard this from patients 
It's as if they're up in the corner looking down, and then they're called back into their body. This is a surgeon telling me this. Another book that's mentioned quite frequently in Jesus' own trial is I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. See, that takes more faith than believing in Jesus Christ to believe in a big bang that created all of this. That takes more faith because it's not proven. But it takes more faith to be an atheist than it does to believe there is a God that loves you and me so much that He sent His Son to us. More faith to be an atheist. Last week, Jim shared many details of my experience. And this week, there were more. But there's also more affirmation. Some of you know a doctor by the name of Gary Molly. I know Frank does. Gary Molly uh, is a friend that uh, I was talking to this week because he got married and we visited about that. Eugene and Gene Johnson, they go to him. Um, uh, Jack uh, Campsey, he goes to him. So many in this community know of Gary Molly, Dr. Gary Molly. I talked to him at the first of the week about his wedding and how happy he was. And then he says, I've noticed on Facebook you've had some things that happened to you. And I told him that I had lost 70 to 72% of my blood and I was airlifted. He said, you are one lucky man. You must have a guardian angel looking out over you. For most people don't survive that. Thursday, I met with Dr. Lane and he was in the ER as was Jim. Donna, and I asked him, how close did I come to dying? He didn't put his fingers like that. He put it down like about a half an inch. That's how close I came to dying. He said, I wasn't sure you were going to live long enough to get on that helicopter. And when you live long enough to get on that helicopter... I really didn't think you'd live long enough to get to Lubbock. Wayne, do you believe there is a God? Wayne, do you believe there is a guardian angel? Do you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior? I certainly do. I certainly do. Donna told me after I had my ablation in Oklahoma City, she says, you've been given a new life. And that's what I've been given, a new life. You see it, 80%, 70% that don't make it. And then you're automatically saying, why? Why me, Lord? And the answer comes back, because he's not finished with me. I don't know what it is. 
but I'm going to keep my ears and my eyes open to see what he wants me to do. I know he wants me to be with y'all, and I cannot thank you enough for all the cards and calls and emails. I know that the whole congregation was praying for me. Most of the community was praying for me, and God could not turn his back on that many prayers. My daughter's church, they were all praying for me. There were many that I, Donna and I went to school with, graduated with, that were praying for us. Prayers were being lifted up all over. Don't ever doubt the power of prayer. So we go back. Do we believe that Jesus Christ is our Lord and our Savior? And if we say yes to that, we have got to believe that He died on the cross. He was dead. He didn't just pass out. He wasn't in a coma. He was dead. Then we must believe that He was laid in a tomb, a borrowed tomb. He was laid in there and the Stone was rolled across it and the Romans sealed it. And those that were watching the stone overnight, the penalty for going to sleep was death. Romans knew a lot about killing. They knew a lot about the the way that the Romans would inflict that pain on anyone that would go to sleep. It would not be an easy death. So they had that motive to stay awake all night. But still, the stone was rolled away. But still, Jesus Christ was seen time and time again during the next 40 days, even to a group of 500 Now he sits at the right hand of the throne of God himself. And he will return. He will return. He will step off of that throne and he will come down and pick up all of those of us that believe in Jesus Christ. There will be that salvation for us because Jesus lives. I can personally attest to that just by what has happened to me this last week. I believed before, but it speaks so much more powerfully, louder today than it did six weeks ago when I was in this pulpit. I want to share that with you. I want to share that with anyone that will listen. Jesus Christ lives. Jesus Christ lives. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to You because we know that You are the Savior. We come to You because You are in our lives. We may be at the house and may be living alone, but anytime we reach out to You in prayer, You're there. During those difficult times in hospitals, You're there. You're there with those that are caring for their loved ones. You're there for the patients. 
You're with the nurses and the doctors. You're there. And dear Lord, we know you are here this very moment. This very moment. You live. Christ lives today. Amen.